Go to our study in the book of Judges, and we're in the life of Samson. Uh, We're in part four of a series of messages on his life, and again, of all the the ones that are listed as judges in that book, Samson is the one that has uh, probably the most, well, he does have the most that's written about him, and not all of it being positive, but he was a reflection, I think, of the times in which he lived. I'm not making an excuse for his decisions, but... You know in the book of Judges it opens up with the uh, phrase that says every man did that which was right in his own eyes. And that's sort of the summary of the times in which we find the book of Judges. A period of about 400 years in the history of Israel, in the history of that nation. And I've said many times as we've been going down through this that really I think the times of the judges are not far removed from the times that we live in this modern age where most people, many people at least, are doing that which is right in their own eyes and have no regard for what God has established or what God has revealed both in his word and even in nature itself. I marvel at how we have become so foolishly minded in our very educated society, right? Uh, and, and I say that cautiously. I realize there's still wise people out there, but there's so many that are now estranged from the Word of God and the God of the Word, and they are becoming gods in their own minds or have erected those things, and they have really become, as Paul writes, futile in their imaginations. And uh, we often do fight against God in that. Um, We're in this section of Judges chapter 15, and it sort of picks up from where we left off uh, last time. And today we're going to talk about revenge. Um, Talk about revenge. That's a a hot topic, not only in our current affairs going on right now in the world, but just in general. uh, How does a believer respond to situations of injustices or hurts or harms or anything like that? And are we to seek revenge personally? Or is there a place for that? And I want to look at the life of Samson this morning in regard to that. Judges 15, starting in verse 1. Judges 15, verse 1. It says, After a while, in the time of wheat harvest, it appeared that, or it happened, that Samson visited his wife with a young goat. And he said, Let me go in to my wife, into her room. But her father would not permit him to go in. Her father said, I really thought that you thoroughly hated her. Therefore, I gave her to your companion. Is not her younger sister better than she? Please take her instead. And Samson said to them, This time I shall be blameless regarding the Philistines if I harm them. Then Samson went and caught 300 foxes, and he took torches turned uh, the fox's tail to tail, and put a torch between each pair of tails. And when he had set the torches on fire, he let the foxes go into the standing grain of the Philistines and burned up both the shocks and the standing grain, as well as the vineyards and olive groves. And then the Philistines said, Who has done this? And they answered, Samson, the son-in-law of the Timnite. Because he has taken his wife and given her to his companion. And so the Philistines came up and burned her and her father with fire. Samson said to them, Since you would do a thing like this, I will surely take revenge on you, and after that I will cease. And so he attacked them hip and thigh with a great slaughter, 
And then he went down and dwelt in the cleft of the rock at Etim. Father, thank you for the word of God. And as we come to this section of scripture, I pray you teach us and examine our hearts, examine our, ourselves before you. And we thank you, O oh God, for who you are in your grace, in your mercy, in your justice, in all your perfections. And Lord, we just remember that today and we are thankful in Jesus' name. Amen. This idea of revenge, and that's what this uh, passage pictures for us, uh, a revenge that uh, is, and it kind of, remember the chapter divisions aren't inspired. Those were added for clarification much later, only really a few hundred years ago. And if you go to the book of Judges, it's all one scroll originally. And the story that we talked about last week, where, remember, Samson has a wedding, um, and that was after the previous message before that, which talked about Samson's bad choices. Remember, he went down into the Philistine territory, and he sees a woman there, not of his own countrymen, of his own people, uh, and the Jews were specifically told not to marry into, uh, into foreign families that way because they would bring idolatry. God was very clear on that, and the principle was that it would lead them astray. And so he said to separate themselves from that and not to marry in between uh, with those unions. And Samson does just the opposite. He goes down, he attempts to get married, and the marriage apparently is really never consummated. There's a seven-day feast. We looked at that last week, and it's during that time that uh, Samson, remember, plays or tells a riddle, and he didn't think anybody would solve the riddle, but he's tricked out of it by his well, the wife's family, his his wife that he's getting married to here, and um, he, 30 Philistines end up uh, tricking him in that, or not tricking necessarily, but getting to solve the riddle. And because of the wager he had put down on it, um, Samson has to pay, and he pays vengefully with their lives and taking their clothes and, again, spilling blood in that whole thing. Because, and remember, we left with Samson calling his wife a heifer, used as a heifer. In other words, a cow in the field, like a dumb animal, she was used as such. And I would say, do not go, and, and I, I made sure I told my wife that after last week. I said, you know, those are not things I want to say to you. I just want, want you to know that, just to clarify, right? But that won't get you ahead with any woman um, to say things like that. And because of the whole tension that went on, and apparently uh, the marriage had not been consummated yet, um, that would have been after that seven-day feast and everything else. Uh, the woman is given away to a companion of Samson as a bride. And uh, that's where we picked it up today. This apparently, in all the chaos of things, Samson's not understanding all of that that took place. He goes back and he goes to the house of the, of the bride and he wants his wife, only to find out she's been given away to another man. And it makes him burn with rage and anger. And he begins really going down a road of vengeance in this. And when he says in the very beginning of that chapter, uh, when he says, after a while, and we don't know how long it was in between the previous paragraphs of chapter 14 and chapter 15, but it, we do know the time, it was the time of the wheat harvest, it happened that Samson visited his wife with a young goat. Now, 
men, this is again dating principles or whatever else. You probably today won't win a, a woman over by bringing a goat to try to reconcile what, by calling her a heifer. All right, just so you know that. But in those days, that was perfectly acceptable. And he brings a, a, a goat and he wants to reconcile and go forth with this wedding. Um, but it didn't work, okay? And it probably won't work today either if you show up with a goat on some woman's doorstep. That isn't going to be the way to do it. Anyways, I, I won't write a book on dating or anything like that, just so you know. But I, I have learned a few little things in my, um, well, 30 years of marriage and um, the 50, almost four years of, of life here on earth. Uh, anyways, all that to say is that this whole section that we dealt with and we read earlier shows the attitude in the heart of Samson is that when he's betrayed, that's what he feels, um, personally, he begins to take it very seriously in the sense of enacting vengeance on what would become the family of the bride, also the whole Philistine people uh, in this. And, and I would say this, remember, God in the backdrop of this is using this whole thing in Samson's life. He will use it to deliver his people from the Philistines. But the process of which Samson is the one who's going to be used of that, Samson fails just about every test that it comes his way. You see, I believe for, firmly that God has a place for avenging others, um, but it's, it's through the instruments that he's put in place, and chiefly government is one. Now, I, even bad government is better than no government, believe it or not, most often. Um, but I, I say this, that there is a place in Scripture where that was made possible. And we find with Samson, he's not doing it on behalf of his country. He's not doing it on behalf of the Lord. He doesn't seek the Lord in what he should do for his next steps. He doesn't do any of that. He just goes and does what Samson wants to do. And uh, right off we see in this whole seeking of revenge, there's a, there's a bitterness in his heart. And he's going to exact blood in this way. And although later it will be used of God in that, I would again say it's not because um, Samson was walking with the Lord, but rather because God still orchestrates his ways and uses even the evil and the bad things and even poor choices that his followers make to bring about his, uh, his way. And how much more so he would have used, I believe, Samson, had Samson first and foremost committed to the Lord and sought the Lord on how he would to proceed in defeating the Philistines. Samson comes up with a plan, but the plan doesn't appear to, at all to involve God, um, in, at least in Samson's thinking in that way. And by the way, this kind of brings it down, and I mentioned you know, our current events that are going on. There are many people worldwide protesting the invasion uh, or the... the uh, uh, the war that's going on in Israel and um, all the ramifications of, of potentially invading Gaza and, and uh, dropping bombs and missiles on people and all of those things. And a lot of times I've heard in this last two, three weeks almost now, um, you know, the term vengeance and being brought up. And, and I say there's a distinct difference between what nations do to protect themselves and are called to do because it is part of what God has um, laid in place for nations to be governed and the ability of government to protect its citizenry. And I do not see what is going on with Israel today 
as something that is morally wrong in trying to protect their people, their country, and defend against terrorism. I, I want to say that very clearly because I think the, the scriptures are clear on those things. For instance, in Romans chapter 13, Paul, the apostle, writes, and, and keep in mind the backdrop of this was the Roman government, and the Roman government wasn't perfect. It, it did a lot of bad things, including crucifying people and everything else, right? I mean, but the Roman government brought what we call the Pax Romana in that time frame from about 40 to 60 years before Christ into about the, well, the 4th century. And throughout the ancient world uh, where the Romans ruled, it, there was a sense of, of peace. And it was brought about by authority and about by those who defended territory and everything else. And Paul writes here in how Christians ought to behave in the context of that. Mind you, there were Christians being persecuted. Paul himself had been persecuted. But he writes this way, he says, Let every soul be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God. And understand that. Uh, there is no authority except from God. Even uh, someone who um, is in a bad place in governing or whatever else is there, and they may not recognize it, but they are there simply because God has allowed them to be there, if anything, and to understand that. And then it goes on to say this, And the authorities that exist are appointed by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authority resists the ordinance of God, and those who resist will bring judgment on themselves. And that's important to note that there is a place for government to protect and defend and to bring about justice and judgment in that sense from a governmental standpoint. That's why we're a land of laws and rules and those kind of things. It is apart from Revelation where we see people individually going out and taking the role of that in the sense. Not talking about personal defense. That's a whole other area where I believe uh, firmly the scripture is clear that you have a right to defend yourself and others. But as a nation or taking on the role of a nation's government to go and to enact vengeance, similar to what Samson was doing, he was outside of that role that he should have played. And his attitude was wrong, yet God would use it. And he says this, uh, do you want to be unafraid of authority? We're in a world that's unafraid of any authority, starting with God. And then everything else falls into that. Do what is good, and you will have praise from the same. And For he is God's minister to you for good. But if you do evil, be afraid, for he does not bear the sword in vain, for he is God's minister and avenger to execute wrath on him who practices evil. So according to the New Testament, the Apostle Paul writes here that there is a place for God's minister, that's the reference to a governmental authority uh, that is entrusted with protecting and enforcing law, and it says to avenge and to execute wrath on him who practices evil. In other words, if you want to practice evil and you want to do something evil, you can expect that the role of the avenger is, the governmental role is to come and to put you down and, or take you away or whatever else or put you in prison. Uh, all kinds of different ways. So anyways, I say that because there is this deeper dialogue and most of people today i'm not talking about you necessarily that are here most sundays but most people are ignorant of what the scripture actually teaches in this whole regard and i do think that uh, there is certainly a place for a moral and a, not immoral but a moral war 
or conflict, even though it brings about great harm. So back up now and say, what does the individual do? Where does our responsibility in those areas? And as for the Christian, operating as a Christian in those things, you may indeed be called to participate in something. Um, and again, by conscience, I, I think you're clear to do that if you're in a, in a good sense operating to protect from evil. I think we need people like that. I know we need people like that. If we didn't have people that would go out and confront evil, we'd all be in trouble. And sometimes evil confronts you. And it's a good thing there's good people out there to meet that evil face head on and to, uh, to fight in that way. And I say that with the backdrop of what's going on in Israel today um, as a current event that is a relative uh, illustration and we started this study prior to the latest uh, conflict that has erupted in the Middle East and it's timely that this falls in this time frame as well um, so maybe you can bring up some discussions with people I don't know uh, anyways there's more I could read on that but I won't I'm going to go further here and look at uh, Samson's uh, revenge and why it was wrong and why he got some things wrong. It says, After a while, in the time of wheat harvest, it happened that Samson visited his wife with a young goat, and he said, Let me go into my wife, into her room. But her father would not permit him to go in. And simply the reason was, there are two reasons, that he says it in the next verse, her father said, I, I really thought you thoroughly hated her. And from the previous section, that's exactly what it appears. Samson didn't have much regard for this woman. Remember in chapter 14, in the beginning of that chapter, he goes down and he sees a woman and he says, I want her. There wasn't any more reasoning in his head other than he was attracted physically to this woman. And then he sets about a plan to, to take her as his wife and it doesn't go well. And it doesn't go well for anybody involved in it. Um, and we've already talked about that in numerous you know, verses of scripture that talk about that separation aspect and it, it doesn't go well if you want to live in that world of not being separated from sin and from sin's ways. Uh, the scripture is clear on that. We've quoted this verse several times. But it says, Do not be unequally yoked together with unbelievers, for what fellowship has righteousness with lawlessness? And that's, that's the principle, right? And what communion has light with darkness? And what accord has Christ with Belial? Or what part has a believer with an unbeliever? And what agreement has the temple of God with idols? For you are the temple of the living God. As God has said, I will dwell in them and walk among them. I will be their God and they shall be my people. Therefore, come out from among them and be separate, says the Lord. Do not touch what is unclean and I will receive you. And Paul is quoting from the Old Testament and he's bringing it into the church saying, you are to be separated in your walk. If you are walking in righteousness, what fellowship have you with the works of evil and the works of darkness? And, and I unfortunately, believers sometimes like to flirt with those things. And it will always turn out poorly for you if you do that and make that your habit and do not repent. Well, Samson proposes to, uh, like I said, he brings a goat. He thinks that's going to smooth it over. Uh, that isn't going to smooth it over. And the reality is this, that his wife has been given over to another man to be married. And that, that part of his marriage, it was over. It was done. It failed in that. And I would say that um, it's important that we 
first and foremost, uh, seek the Lord in our decisions. And I think if Samson had done that way back in the beginning when we first see his life, public life anyways, um, we, we indicate with Samson that he really never played that role of being separated or even seeking the Lord on something. I think God would have given him that, right? The scripture says this in Proverbs thirteen twenty: He who walks with wise men will be wise, but the companion of fools will be destroyed. And too often, Samson played around with fools. And he played the fool. And we'll find out that in the end of his life, there was a great victory, but it was a pretty hard getting there. And we'll look at that later on, uh, being aware of that. And by the way, you live in a world of injustice. It's going to come and it's going to happen. You can't chase down every barking dog, all right? Um, you can't. There are always going to be injustices. There's always going to be hurts. There's always going to be harms. Some things you have to leave with God. Otherwise, it will consume you and you'll never be able to, you can't avenge everything. You can't. And uh, it's important sometimes just to, well, to roll with the punches or so to speak. I, I remember reading of this illustration um, years ago. Uh, the Chicago Cubs outfielder Andre Dawson paid a $1,000 fine uh, for disputing a strike that an umpire called. And uh, so he, he didn't have much recourse, and he wrote out the check. But in the memo line, I, I like what he wrote. He said, donation for the blind. <laughs> <laughs> Sometimes you just take it on the chin, but maybe you can get a little dig in too, you know. Uh, and, and, and sometimes that's how we have to react, you know. It doesn't go really good to come up against things sometimes, and you're going to lose one way or the other, right? And there's, sometimes it'll cost you far more than you want to pay. But, or even, you'll pay it, but it'll still cost you more. I think it was Abraham Lincoln, when he was a lawyer, um, he had a, a guy come to him and, and wanted legal representation in court for the, uh, he was suing a man for a debt that the man owed. The debt was $2.50. And it wasn't even, back then, it wasn't a huge debt. And Lincoln told the man, he said, you will pay more in my, my legal fees than you will collect from the debt. And the man said, I don't care. So Lincoln charged the man $10 for his legal fees. And they took the man to court. And the man ended up, the, the court found him in... Uh, it found the plaintiff in in his favor, and he was to collect the two dollars and fifty cents from the debtor. And so Lincoln went over and gave five dollars to the debtor, and the debtor was very glad. And he took two fifty out of that, and he went and paid his debt, and he went home with actually two dollars and fifty cents more than he had. And Lincoln collected the other five dollars. And the other, you know, the other guy that he was representing was pleased with all that. But in the end, it cost more to collect than what you would get. And, and I would just say that's sort of the picture of vengeance. It will cost you more at a heart level than to leave things with God to sort out sometimes. And I just leave it like that. Uh, we as Christians are called to a higher plane, a higher purpose. And we are called among the body of christ to not provoke each other into wrath and vengeance but we're actually called to provoke each other into good works uh, hebrews chapter 10 verse 24 says let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works that's what you're to stir up not 
wrath and malice and bitterness and hatred and all the other bad things that come. Some people make it their mission to do those things, but the scripture is clear how believers should be. We're to stir up people for good works. We're to do that. And we're to sharpen one another. Samson really has nobody around in his life that would sharpen him. And I I think because Samson was just one of those guys, he wasn't going to have anybody tell him what to do. And he would come down under the hard hand of God later on in that. But the book of Proverbs again in 27.17 says, As iron sharpens iron, so a man sharpens the countenance of his friend. Uh, I'm thankful for people in my life that have been there, some for my whole life, some for the, since I became a believer, uh, now 35 years on, that have been there consistently to sharpen me. Not dull me, but sharpen me, because I can dull myself pretty easily. And they come along and say, hey Jack, I don't know if that's the way you want to do that. And iron sharpens iron, right? When you rub two pieces of iron together in the right way, you can sharpen both of them. And otherwise, you're just going to dull two instruments. And that's Samson was, he was dulled to the things of the world because he was in those things and he didn't have anybody around him either that would help bring him out from among them. He was a one-man show. And by the way, you can't be a one-man show because... Uh, it, it will come down around you. Uh, Proverbs chapter 27, verse 9. Ointment and perfume delight the heart, and the sweetness of a man's friend gives delight by hearty counsel. You know, good counsel, is a, it leaves a pleasant smell, spiritually and emotionally, after you've been with somebody in that realm. Bad counsel will leave a bad emotional, spiritual smell behind in that. We're called to do things different. By the way, we as Christians, as individuals and as a church, we're not called to go and take up the sword and to go enact God's vengeance. And again, I differentiate that because you may indeed be called, in a sense, to serve your country or to serve in a governmental form of that in some way to defend, to protect, to enforce, and all those kind of things. And that's also perfectly acceptable but that's the role of government not the church the church's role is to go out and represent christ we are to be his representatives here on earth we're be ambassadors and we're to go out with the gospel on our lips right jesus says and go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature every person that's our primary mission and it's easy to get off track isn't it and all of a sudden take up the causes, there's millions of causes you can take up, and there, many of them are worthy causes. I'm not playing them down. But if Christ is not the center of your cause, all those other things are less important. Be involved in the primary one first, for sure, in all of that. Well, we see with Samson, he, he didn't really have very good advice around him. He had no advice around him. Not because he didn't know, I think he knew what he was doing, but his heart got in, his, in the way and he, his anger arose and he ends up taking vengeance. Judges chapter 15 verse 3, it says, And Samson said to them, This time I shall be blameless regarding the Philistines if I harm them. So see, there's that vengeful spirit that's risen in his heart. And he's excusing what he's about to do because of what they did. See, 
that that cycle of vengeance that goes back and forth. And this time he says, I'm going to go and do what I want to do with them, and I'll be free of the guilt of that. Well, you're really not in those things. goes on to say this, And Samson went and caught 300 foxes and took torches and turned the foxes tail to tail and put a torch between each pair of tails. And when he had set the torches on fire, he let the foxes go into the standing grain of the Philistines, burned up both the shocks and the standing grain, as well as the vineyards and olive groves. And then it says, Then the Philistines said, Who has done this? And they answered, Samson, the son-in-law of the Timnite, because he has taken his wife and given her to his companion. And so the Philistines came up and burned her and her father with fire. This uh, creates tremendous loss in this whole thing. Um, and, and I won't go on. I don't know how Samson went and caught the 300 foxes, but he did. Uh, these were probably not like the red fox we see up here or anything like that, but uh, more likely uh, sort of a jackal. And uh, he would have taken their tail, somehow tied those together and put this torch between them. And he sends them off in pairs. And you can imagine animals that aren't used to being tied together are going to try to go here and there. And as they do, they're spreading fire in this time of harvest. Remember, it's the wheat harvest. And the crops burned up. And you know that in that day, especially, if you lost your crop, then very good reasonable chance you were going to suffer greatly and starvation could be your companion till the next harvest and all the things that that brings so this is a serious matter and samson goes out and he said i'm just going to burn it i'm going to take it down and uh, it causes more loss of life not just loss of crops but loss of life because now that family that he had gone and that woman he put his eyes on guess what Her family is killed and they're burned up too by those seeking revenge now on Samson. And you can see where this goes back and forth. And sometimes uh, our attitudes show forth in what our actions or how our actions follow uh, in that. What's your attitude like today? His methods were unconventional. I don't know of any other occasion in history where that is mentioned, something like that, tying these 300 animals together and then having a a fire go forth. Um, And there are lots of people out there today seeking revenge on others, and they're counting the ways they might be able to do that. It reminds me of the woman who was sick. She went into her doctor, and her doctor said, you have rabies. Rabies is a pretty serious thing. Doctor left the room and he came back. He found the woman writing frantically on a notebook and he said, What are you doing? She says, I'm writing down all the names of the people I'm going to bite. Sometimes those things are in our minds, aren't they? If I had rabies, I'll bite them, you know? That's just vengeful. Um, that isn't what we want to, you know, as Christians, we're, like I said, we're called to a higher plane, aren't we? A higher calling. A calling sometimes it will be misunderstood. And it will take sometimes pounds of flesh off you in that way. And you will not have any recourse in this world, unfortunately. It doesn't mean you just give up, though, either. But I'm just saying that those are things we can expect because the Bible tells us we can expect those things. We as Christians are to be looking for opportunities to serve, not to sever in vengeance in that Judges chapter 15, verse 7. 
Samson said to them, since you would do a thing like this, I will surely take revenge on you, and after that I will cease. And so he attacked them hip and thigh with a great slaughter, and then he went down and dwelt in the cleft of the rock of Etam. And again, we see this cycle of vengeance that starts with an attitude. It starts really back before that, when Samson's not separated the way he should be. He brings trouble everywhere he goes. And then that causes this, he burns the crops, and then they burn the family, and now Samson's really upset, and then he goes back, and he just decides to go and create a great slaughter, and lots of bloodshed that is there. Um, when it says attack them hip and thigh, it, it is a probably, it's in Hebrew, it's, it's not fully understood what that meant, except that it probably meant dismembering, which that's the way he wanted to kill them, or perhaps breaking their thigh bones, their femur, and then they can't fight. Um, it's hard to say exactly what it was, but you get the picture with what follows a great slaughter. If you break somebody's hip bone, you're not going to be able to uh, have them. They won't be very good at fighting after that. And it doesn't stop Samson. He continues on, and he has this retaliation. And the word for slaughter means like a total, absolute slaughter. He left no survivors in that. And some of us might say, well, I wouldn't blame him. I'd want to do the same thing if somebody did that to my family. And I I can certainly understand that feeling. All of us have had those feelings, I imagine, uh, at various times. But it's harder and higher to leave it with God. I say harder, it's, the, it's best, but often it is relegated in that realm for us to do that. And God takes note of it. God noted the bloodshed of Samson. He noted the bloodshed of others. I think of David, a man after God's own heart. That's what the Bible says. David was a great king. His name continues to this day. There is one who came out of David's family, who is our Savior, Jesus Christ the Lord. Um, All of that. David was a great man. David was a king who, when it came time to build a permanent dwelling place or a permanent place where God would meet with his people, the temple, God says, no, David, I'm not going to let you do that. Because you, you have a lot of history of avenging blood. In First Chronicles 22, David said to Solomon, Solomon's his son, my son, as for me, it was in my mind to build a house to the name of the Lord my God. Now, I think it's in chapter 17, previous to this, where Nathan comes to David and tells him what he's going to do through his son and how he's going to build this. It says, But the word of the Lord came to me, saying, You have shed much blood and have have made great wars. You shall not build a house for my name, because you have shed much blood on the earth in my sight. Even though God used David to deliver his nation from the enemy in such a way David and there's as you look through the record of David there are times David he did it, he went too far God took note of that so David you've shed a lot of blood God doesn't want people to just go shed blood we sometimes get that backwards and God took note of that and you think and I would just say it this way God is always grieved at death Even 
Uh, and I think of that in, in the forms of um, you know, judicial deaths, like having to defend yourself against someone who's going to kill you or harm you, and you take their life. Uh, I, I would say certainly that's justified, and there's nothing um, morally wrong in that situation, but does it not grieve God that someone has still died? And death has come again. And death, and death, and that cycle of death. Before God judged the earth in Noah's day, it says of the people there of that time, says the earth was filled with violence. And it came to a point where God, God regretted that man was even made. I don't know, I, can't, I don't have the mind of God, okay? But I can imagine, here's the creator, he knows all things, he knows what it's going to be like, and he still makes man, man totally fails. And the, the climate of the days before the judgment that God would pour out on the whole earth was a time of great violence. I put this out for your thought. What's your entertainment like? Do you only look at violent things? Do you only entertained by violent things? Beware of that. It probably shows really where your heart is. Be careful of that. I, I don't, by the way, I don't sit in your living rooms. I don't sit on your computers and those kind of things. But, but I will say this, that I know that that's what our society wants today. And woe unto us because we're, we're heaping up judgment upon ourselves. He wants us to think on good things. He wants us to have our minds fixed on a higher level. Are we concerned for the souls of people who are lost and dying and going to hell in a Christless eternity? See, that's what he wants his church concerned about. Romans chapter 12 says, Repay no one evil for evil. Have regard for good things in the sight of all men. If it is possible, as much as depends on you, live peaceably with all men. It would be a different world if people lived that way. Beloved, do not avenge yourselves, but rather give place to wrath. In other words, put it in its place. For it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. And can I just throw that out again, because I have to hear it? God will repay every evil deed that is not found under the forgiveness of his blood. He will repay every evil deed. Therefore, and Paul goes on to quote, If your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him drink. For in so doing, you will heap coals of fire on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Often think of that in the context of um, World War II, in the end of World War II. The United States coming from a very Christian foundation and worldview, decided to rebuild the countries of its enemies. Germany today stands as a mighty nation. Japan stands as a mighty nation. When in fact it could have been, if history played out like most armies in the past, they should have been raised to the ground, nothing left. But people, including leaders, after the war, said, we will go in and feed them. We will rebuild their countries. We will do those things. I'm not sure we would do that in the right fashion today. 
Jesus said the same thing. And I won't read all of that, but you could read sometime Matthew 5, right? Peter tells us in 1 Peter, Beloved, do not think it strange concerning the fiery trials, which is to try you as though some strange thing happened to you. You can expect injustice. That's what he's saying. But rejoice to the extent that you partake of Christ's sufferings, that when his glory is revealed, you may also be glad with exceeding joy. If you are reproached for the name of Christ, blessed are you. For the spirit of the glory and of God rests upon you. On their part he is blasphemed, but on your part he is glorified. But let no one of you suffer as a murderer, a thief, an evildoer, or as a busybody in other people's matters. Yet if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in this matter. For the time has come for judgment to begin at the house of God. And if it begins with us first, what will be the end of those who do not obey the gospel of God? Now, if the righteous one is scarcely saved, where will the ungodly and the sinner appear? Therefore, let those who suffer according to the will of God commit their souls to him in doing good as to a faithful creator. And there's many passages that exhort the same thing with Christians. We are to, um, first and foremost, serve the Lord, even in times of suffering and in doing that. You know, the story goes that, and this, this happened early on in Julius Caesar's um, political career, he was taken captive by pirates, believe it or not. He had fled Rome because the political climate wasn't in his favor, and he went to seek safety, and while he was out on the open sea, he was taken captive. His pirates kept him for 40 days until a very hefty ransom was paid, in which he was released and went back to being Caesar of Rome. And during that time, he told his captors, he said, when I am released, I will hunt you down, and I will have every single one of you crucified. To a man. After he was, his ransom was paid and they released him, Caesar mobilized his military and his navy and he went after them and he did hunt every single one of them down and crucified each and every one. Now some would say, was he justified in doing so? Well, he was a Caesar. He was a head of a government. But it's interesting how I think of the contrast between Julius Caesar and Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ also faced a cross. He was crucified, not because he had done anything wrong. He was crucified because I had done something wrong. He was crucified because I deserve to be on that cross, and you deserve to be on that cross. And when Jesus, God's Son, holy and righteous and harmless and undefiled, was crucified, and the greatest of injustices ever served on anybody was on Jesus, when he died... Did God enact vengeance upon the whole earth? He had every right to. He didn't. Instead, in mercy and in grace, he would send his people out from there on, now for over 2,000 years, and he would send them out so they might herald in the message of salvation. He's our Savior. You know, Isaiah chapter 53 says, He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. He was led as a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before its shearers is silent, so he opened not his mouth. That was the attitude of Christ. When he could have taken vengeance, he didn't. Instead, he gave his life a ransom 
for many. The Bible says in Hebrews 7, For such a high priest was fitting for us, who is holy, harmless, undefiled, separate from sinners, and has become higher than the heavens, who does not need daily as those high priests to offer up sacrifices first for his own sins and then for the people's, for this he did once for all when he offered up himself. Aren't you glad for that? At the end of this section, Samson goes off and he takes refuge in the cleft of a rock. And I thought, is there any type in that at all with Samson? You know, I would say this, that the rock really is pictured there as the cleft of that rock of the protection that that offered is found fully in Jesus Christ, right? The Bible says in Psalm 61 verse 2, from the end of the earth I will cry to you, my heart, when my heart is overwhelmed, lead me to the rock that is higher than I. We have a high priest, Jesus Christ our Savior, who is higher than the heavens. You get, don't get higher than the heavens. He is seated at the right hand of God, the place of honor, and he wants to be your Savior. He wants to be your Savior. Do you know him? You can today. Let's pray. Lord, I am so thankful for the word of God. Lord, I don't know where you maybe are speaking to hearts today, but Lord, if there's anybody here that may have, maybe has a heart of vengeance, that God, you would deal with that in a, in a right way. God, I pray also that if it's in us at all possible to live peaceably with people, we're called to a higher level. But more than anything, we're thankful for Jesus Christ, who, when reviled, did not revile again but gave himself his life, a ransom for many, not as defeated, but as victorious, having risen from the grave, victorious over death and sin. Thank you for such a Savior. And we look to him today to do his work in our hearts. Lord, draw people to yourself, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.